Hi, I'm David Kukoff, editor of Los Angeles in the 1970s, Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. And I'm here with Tom Teichholz. Tom, you want to tell us who you are? Sure, Tom Teichholz. Uh, uh, I'm the author of Being There, a collection of my journalism from 1978 to 2000 that's just uh, published by Rare Bird Lit. All right, and Tom, actually, you're also a contributor to uh, to our book, uh, Los Angeles. That's true. I have a piece in David's uh, L.A. in the 70s um, that I was very uh, happy to be a part of. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic piece, which I hope we can talk about in a few minutes. But uh, first, Tom, do you want to tell us a little bit about how about your, your, your wild, great road to being a journalist? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, um, um, much of my much of many of the good things in my life have occurred as a result of hanging out and just being in the right place at the right time, which is one of the reasons my collection is called Being There. Um, in my own case, I had you know been writing uh, since I was a, a child. Um, you know, I see, I recall that in. I was always sort of, I had a very good memory and a great ability to to recall and observe, and I was always sort of watching, and, uh, um, and I wasn't shy about stating my opinions. And in fourth grade or so, when my friends uh, started uh, forming bands, you know, fourth, fifth grade, uh, I would write songs for them. And then by about sixth grade, that morphed into writing poems. And then in about ninth or 10th or 11th grade, short stories. And I very much went to college uh, with dreams of, uh, you know, writing the great American novel. And while in college, I started writing book reviews for the college newspaper in great part because I would read novels and have questions and opinions and things I wanted to to sort of put out there. And uh, that kind of led to my being at um, uh, Columbia Law School in New York. Um, and I was one night, uh, I was volunteering at a um, um, political event. Uh, there was a um, race for city council president in New York, um, at which in a sort of special election for re- for a representative, um, in which I was volunteering, and it was actually held in a building that they're just about to turn tear down in New York on uh, Union Square, um, just off Union Square on 15th Street. That was the actual Tammany Hall of the mm-hmm. Teapot Dome scandal. Um, anyhow, I was up there in the, um, actually hanging out in the upstairs and there was another young guy there who I started talking to who, uh, named David Noonan, who was a character straight out of the front page, uh, wisecracking, smart, quick. He was also a novelist. Um, and he was editor of this community paper called the East side express. And at the end of the evening, he said, well, why don't you write for us? And I told him that I was reading a new novel by Jersey Kaczynski, and uh, I'd done book reviews in college, and maybe I could review that book. And he said, 
don't do a book review, do an interview. Call up his publisher, get an interview, and we'll publish that. And that kind of launched my journalism career because, in fact, um, without really knowing um, how to do it, I, I went and interviewed Jersey Kaczynski, and that became a cover story for the East Side Express. Um, and then um, about a year later, I was at another party where I um, met one of the editors and columnists at Interview, Bob Colicello, and uh, he invited me to come down and visit the factory, uh, Andy Warhol's factory, where Interview was published, and that led to my writing for them. So that kind of launched my career. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about the interview years? Because certainly uh, it was such a seminal, fascinating magazine. And um, I mean, it, it just, I get the feeling that uh, you've, you've written quite a fair amount of it in the, in, the, in, the, in the upcoming book that you're putting out here. Yeah, well, you know, um, Interview was, um, was a really great publication, which I, um, which I was a big fan of uh, before even contributing there. And what I loved about Interview was that it had this sort of Andy Warhol-esque um, uh, sort of characterization of where they would do these Q&A interviews, which seemed like you were just a fly on the wall of two people having lunch. And it was as superficial as Andy could be, and at the same time, occasionally truths emerged that were really worth being there to hear or read. And similarly, they had columnists like uh, Glenn O'Brien's Beat and Fran Lebowitz, uh, I Cover the Waterfront, and Bob Colicello's Out, that if you read them consistently, you walked away knowing about New York in a deeper way um, than pretty much anywhere else. So when I actually met Bob Colicello, um, at a party for my uh, great friend uh, Julio Santo Domingo's 21st birthday, I, um, I um, told him what a big fan I was, and uh, he invited me to come to, down and you know visit the interview offices. And the interview offices turned out to be really like a small family. It was very much a shoestring operation, that had a very glossy face to the world, but um, in, inside it was really, you know, um, a cast of characters who became uh, collaborators, friends, and who I got to know some better than others, including people like uh, the art director Mark Ballet and Tama Janowitz and uh, Glenn O'Brien and uh, um, my editors there, Robert Hayes and... Love and um, Andy, of course, who um, occasionally, um, because interview swapped ads for meals at a lot of cool restaurants, um, I would get to have uh, dinner with on occasion or be at events that interview through where Andy was or get to when he wasn't there, sort of walk through his studio and see what he was working on. And um, it was, you know, for a young um, journalist, um, young person, it was a great open door into all kinds of worlds um, in New York in the 80s uh, when things were really um, 
happening when Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat were um, taking their uh, work from the street really into the galleries and Warhol was collaborating with them and was uh, sort of their um, uh, sponsor, friend, mentor, collaborator, all of those things. And uh, so I got to be in the room at a lot of, a lot of great times. It sounds, I, I remember also, look, I went to college in New York in the 80s, and even though I was a college student, we certainly partook in, in a lot of what was going on in the city. We went out and, and we made our way downtown and hung out at the Pyramid Club and all the places like Area and Palladium and Lime. The Pyramid Club, and, the Mud Club, Area, yep, yep. Uh, and then yeah, Studio area 54, was, Xenon. Yep. yep. It was a all great, fun it stuff. was an, yes, an era of New York nightlife. And I often feel, say that, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones shattered and the Talking Heads' yep. life yep. during wartime. Yep. Yeah, we're very much my soundtrack. Yeah, and, and it's, very, it's funny because my my literary bookends where I start. I always tell people I started college reading Bright Lights, Big City, and and graduated with a copy of uh, a Bonfire of the Vanities, which I felt perfectly summed up my four. The, not only my four years there, but the four years of New York's four years there as well. Um, what? Uh, what, what led you to come out to Los Angeles? How did you wend your way out here? And if you could talk a little bit about why, as your Telling us your personal journey, maybe a little bit of talk a little bit about the about the demo, you know the demographies of the respective cities that you've inhabited. Sure. Time so, well. you know, um, in New York, I had um, been doing journalism. Um, again, a lot of author interviews for interview with um, Jersey Kaczynski, um, with uh, Tom McGuane, with um, Isaac Bashevis Singer, um, and interviews with. Jeff Bridges and Baron Gita Rothschild. And by the um, mid to late um, 80s, I was actually coming out to L.A. a bit. I came out here once on a sort of interview trip where I interviewed um, the, um, the great uh, B-movie um, auteur Russ Meyer, uh, which was great mm -hmm. fun. And... Um, um, and uh, went to Montana to interview Tom McGuane. And at the end of sort of that era, I kind of felt like New York was becoming very difficult for writers. There were so many, the competition was so intense. Um, there were a lot of publications to write for, but it was, um, they were commissioning a lot of work and killing it. And I kind of felt like I needed some new territory. At the same time, my wife, who um, had been the publisher of New York Woman, Amy Rappaport, um, w came out to L.A. to um, supervise um, American Express Publishing acquired L.A. Style. Mm -hmm. And she came I out. I remember L.A. Style. Yep. So she came out to work yeah. with, L with L.A. Style and her father, uh, Gene Rappaport, who had been a federated um, department store executive, um, retired to Santa Barbara, and we kind of started spending more time out in L.A. Um, um, and so uh, we began to spend time out here and really consider moving out here. Um, I found that journalism in L.A. was more problematic. It was the time when uh, the publicists really ruled Hollywood. And mm -hmm. you... In New York, I was very used to picking up the phone 
and calling whoever I wanted to or finding a way to to meet or interview anyone I was interested in. But in L.A., you had this extra barrier of these publicists who's, who, unlike New York, where their job was to say yes, in L.A., their job was to say no. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself in situations. I did a couple of pieces out here. Um, I did some talk of the town pieces, one of which ran, which I believe is the first um, uh, appearance in a magazine of the term frenemies. Mm. Um, I wrote a piece about frenemies in L.A. And, I wish I heard um, that term in high, when I was in high school. It would have done me a lot of good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, it, but it kind of works perfectly uh, for L.A. in the movie industry. Yeah, and, it does. Uh, um, uh, and I did a piece, a big piece for the um, New York Times Sunday Magazine where I broke the story of Michael Milken's prostate cancer in mm. the first interview wow. after he got out of uh, prison. And, uh, but I was finding increasingly that in LA, um, I would get things, publicists would say things like fax me your questions and we'll fax you back the quotes, which was, which to me felt like a transaction more than a piece of journalism. And, uh, so very soon, um, after moving out here, um, I ran into a woman who had, um, uh, wanted to option uh, one of my books. Um, instead, I optioned it to someone who actually offered money. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I liked her. I liked her, right. and she said, "Well, what are you doing?" And I said, "I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know." So she says, "Well, what would you be doing if you were in New York?" And I said, "Well, if I was in New York, I'd probably try and get a job as a magazine editor or book editor." And she said, "Well." You can do that in L.A. You can do that for the movies. It's called being a development executive. Uh, come <laughs> yep. work for me. And so I did. She was a TV movie producer, and I went to work for her, and then I spent about a decade um, working as a film executive and film producer. And who, uh, uh, I mean, the TV movies, I remember that world pretty well myself. My 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 own ex-wife was involved in it for a little while, and I wrote I wrote a couple of them. And uh, I was uh, one of my best friends was partners with Len Hill, um, uh, uh, Joel Fields. So so I remember right. doing quite a bit of work in that field. I remember you know what a, it was such an interesting world model because talk about these windows of opportunity. Um, as you remember, the TV movie producers figured out that as long as they if they could sell a movie to a network, as long as they could bring it in for what the licensing fee was, they owned the negative worldwide. And that's back when right. you could and then, tell, they, and, then you know, they, and they built libraries that made them wealthy. Yeah, they built libraries. They, they built libraries, and they would sell you know these things all over the world. And when media was still kind of emerging in a lot of markets all over the place, so you didn't you didn't have quite the glut that you have now. Um, and it was just what, talk about a, a fantastic uh, you know uh, fantastic. Part. Do you do you see some similarities in in journalism where with with the kinds of opportunities you got as a young man versus the kinds of opportunities well, listen, available uh, to would be young journalists now? Uh, listen, I think that that certainly um, there was a time when the the uh, pyramid was uh, had a thicker middle, which is to say mm-hmm. that in mm-hmm. um, nineteen ninety you know eight there were three hundred and fifty production deals at the studio at the various studios. Mm-hmm. Each of those production deals had um, you know, several executives who had assistants and, um, 
all of them um, had funds to take writers uh, and agents out to lunch. And mm -hmm. uh, there was a whole economy that existed um, out of those production deals. Similarly, there were, uh, in New York in the 80s and 90s, uh, many, many publications that were thick with advertising that needed to fill up their pages um, with stories, and they were paying um, increasingly high rates to freelance writers to do that. Um, that all changed. Um, you know, there are now probably less than 70 production deals, and even and those production deals are much um, less uh, rich deals um, than they were before, and people no longer feel uh, the need to, um, uh, you know, buy as much. Um, and there are less, similarly in journalism, there are very fewer um, print publications. But I do think that what's changed for journalists um, um, is, and, in, and is in a way better than what's going on. Well, I guess, I guess for journalists, um, what's great is that there are now more places than ever to get published. There is, um, including publishing things yourself, and right. whether that's on, you know, Medium or Huffington Post or any number of outlets. Now, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you wrote a lot of journalism that got killed and never saw the light of day. Today, right. there's no reason that anything you write um, shouldn't right. see the light of day. Exactly. Um, uh, if you're willing to publish it for free um, right. or publish it yourself which right. increasingly there's very little stigma about because pieces on medium get taken as seriously as, you know, pieces on, uh, you know, mainstream news sites. I guess right. the, the, the only thing I might, you might compare it to in the film and TV business is of course the, the giant expansion of TV markets and mm -hmm. TV writing yeah. and right. the ability and to write more the, things. Yeah. Though I, on would, one hand, though exactly I would say that my, my experience of that is that it's still, um, in Hollywood, tilted towards the brand names and people who've done it before and hasn't really provided more as much of a middle class for writers as there was in the heyday of the sitcom era and TV right. movie era. Right, right. That's an excellent way of putting it. And of course, the, you know, the, the, the shrinking middle class, of course, being an apt metaphor for the rest of the country. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit, uh, you know, love to sort of wrap up by hearing you talk a little bit about your contribution to our anthology, Los Angeles, the 1970s, and how, how, you, came to, how you came to want to tell the story of Albert Brooks making real life. And then maybe conclude by having you tell us a little bit about the new book that's out and uh, about your upcoming book launch. Great. So, um, you know, the, the, the sort of challenge, the gauntlet that uh, you threw uh, to all us writers was, you know, tell me a story about L.A. in the 70s, but not the obvious ones, something that changed the culture. But, you know, if you're going to write about film, don't tell me about the Godfather epic or Star Wars or, you know, tell me about something that really had an impact, but that most people don't necessarily realize the impact it had. 
And uh, I was sort of trying to brainstorm a number of ideas. And then it struck me that one of the most prescient and seminal films um, of the 70s in 1979 was Albert Brooks's first film, um, Real Life, which, you know, shockingly um, sort of predicted today's reality television and seemed all the more um, timely given that we have we were in the midst of an, the election of the first r- reality TV star to become president of the United States. Mm-hmm. So um, all the things that, that Albert, who is um, a genius, there's no, no you know, lesser word to describe his intelligence and prescience and comic um, st- style, unique comic style, um, I thought it was a great, a subject to tackle, and fortunately, um, I had um, written about Albert in the past and, and knew him a little bit, and uh, he was more than willing to um, sit down with me um, for um, a long, long interview about real life, and Penelope Spheris um, was also um, uh, more than willing to uh, share her time, and so I was really able to do um, what we rarely do get to do anymore um, in journalism, which is to, you know, write a 5,000-word piece, <laughs> to write a long right. piece about one film that made a difference. And so right. it was a real um, pleasure I- I- to write at that length, um, to really push myself to uh, really mine for all the meaning and to engage with Albert. Right. Um, And to be able to share that um, in this anthology, which, uh, you know, I feel it was one great corner in a book which covered a lot of different um, takes on Los Angeles and sort of all together really uh, presented, as I said in an article in Forbes, uh, the Petri dish out of which Los Angeles became L.A. <laughs> I love the way you put it in that piece. And yes, thank you for, for, for the kind words, because that was our objective. And it, um, I, I think from, as the early returns are coming in, I, I, think we, I think we achieved it. I think people really were so excited to get, to, to get their hands on a, such a lived-in experience, such a, a yeah, serious set of so experiences. Ma- right. And, yeah. and, and so many different, unique takes on, uh, you know, what, what made the culture of L.A. Um, now, uh, one of the reasons that I, I put together being there um, uh, was that I ha- had all these articles from the 80s and 90s that were pre-internet. And I felt that, you know, very much when you write an article, it sort of has its moment in the sun and then it sort of, you know, leaves the consciousness and I thought it would be really interesting to bring these back um, at this time and uh, to revisit um, some of the artists who were at the start of their career, people like Raj Chast and Jeff Bridges and uh, uh, Ian Frazier and um, others who've become um, masters uh, like Tom McGuane and Cynthia Ozick, my Paris 
review interview with her and um, um, other personages who are no longer with us, like Isaac Bashevis Singer and Jersey Kaczynski, and then intersperse that with some of my own um, more serious writing um, about um, when I accompanied a group to protest Ronald Reagan's uh, trip to Bitburg, Germany, um, mm-hmm. as well as my coverage of Israel's first uh, Nazi war crimes trial since Eichmann, the trial of John Demyanyuk. And the yeah, book, man. and the book does uh, the trial of Ivan the Terrible. The, tr- the book does take me, um, you know, kind of nicely ends with my. Um, Milken pieces and a um, piece I wrote about S.J. Perlman, who mm. I saw as someone who bridged the New York and L.A. writing worlds, and I thought so was sort of quite apt for my, um, you know, sort of leaving New York and uh, moving to L.A. Mm. Well, it, it sounds. I mean, it's, it sounds like a wonderful collection, and from. The little bit I've read, one piece, I, one excerpt I got my hands on, it's it's going to be a, a hell of a read. And um, and Tom, you as as you know, I think we're all very fortunate uh, that you were, you know, you were being there in your day. And uh, can't wait to get a, can't get, can't wait to read the rest of it. Um, so I just to wrap up. I'm David Kukoff, editor of Los Angeles in the 1970s. We are scenes inside the gold mine, and I've been talking with Tom Teichels today. And My Tom, pleasure, you David. Book, and it, you, you, you have yep. a book launch coming up this Tuesday, correct? Right. So, being there, journalism, nineteen seventy-eight to two thousand. The book launch is on January seventeenth at the Patio Bar behind Solidarity Restaurant, fourteen fourteen Lincoln Boulevard in Santa Monica, six to eight p.m. Books will be available for sale. Be there or be square. Um, you know, and I'm sure you'll enjoy being there. Look forward to it. All right, Tom. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.